I don't know about you, but my family matters. Does yours? Let me ask you another question. Is it complicated? Is doing family complicated? Is it just my family? You know, it's an interesting thing about the complexity of doing family is that we all think that our house is the only one on the block that's burning. But if we were to actually take note, we would notice that every house on the block is burning when it comes to family these days. It's gotten very complicated. In fact, our, our family, we, we joke because sometimes you have to laugh to keep from crying. Can I get an amen? We joke that our family puts the fun in dysfunctional. I don't know about yours. Maybe it's just mine. Maybe my house is the only one burning. No, we all have things going on, and it is complicated. But the good news is you're not alone. In fact, all our houses are burning right now. But not to destruction necessarily. So when Annette and I met, I had just come off of a divorce and was shattered. And I was dragging about 800 pounds of Samsonite. You know what I'm talking about? Baggage. Annette had just gone through a divorce. And what you may not know about Annette's past is that she actually had her first child at 15, was married at 16, but the guy that she married wasn't the guy who gave her the child because he ran off as soon as he found out she was pregnant. Someone say, it's complicated. Now, that's the simple part of the story. It gets more complex from there because much later on, she had another son, Chris, and now they had two children and one of the ch child was the biological child of the current father. The other was a biological child of an old boyfriend. It gets complicated. So fast forward a few years and, uh, well, actually fast forward to her honeymoon night when her husband physically abused her for the first time. And it started a 13-year run of abuse, physical, emotional, sexual, all of it. Someone say it's complicated. It's interesting how sometimes we'll think, well, why didn't they just leave? Or why do, if somebody is raised in Harlem, why don't they just leave Harlem? If they're raised in Compton, why don't they just leave Compton? Listen, it's complicated. It's complicated. The ecosystems we live in, the fragile constructs of life, family being one of those, it is complicated, and you are not alone. Your house is not the only one burning right now. We're going to go here on this subject because it's important, and if it's important to the heart of God, it's important to us, but even more so, if it matters to you, it matters to Him. In our life right now, where we find ourselves, it matters to Him, and it is very complicated. So fast forward a few years, she's been married 13 years to an abusive husband who used to trip his son just to tough him up when he walked through the living room, just that kind of fun stuff. And now, they, she finally gets the courage to leave because of a pastor friend of mine who encouraged her. And her and I, I meet after an extensive, extensive, complicated, elaborate, long seven-week courtship, we get married. <laughs> By the way, I'm not counseling you to do this. I'm saying, this, in fact, this will be more don't do this than do this. So I'm just trying to help you out here. So we get married, and I'm dragging my Samsonite in. She's bringing her, she's probably got Louis Vuitton or something, but she's bringing some baggage in as well. And all of a sudden, we mix this mess together. And for the first year, it is pure craziness. The kids used to delight 
my new children, my new 12 and 14-year-old who didn't know me. By the way, I interrupted the ecosystem. I'm the outsider. They used to delight at dinner time of talking about past Christmases with the other family, with me sitting there. Or remember that vacation we took? Remember that trip? Remember and talking about family members that they knew I had no idea who they were. And it was just torture and fun for them. Torture for me, fun for them. And so our first year bounced along that way. I only blew my gasket a few times. That's another story. So remember the daughter or the child that I said Annette had when she was 15? Well, that daughter got married to somebody we begged her not to get married to. She eloped to Las Vegas, got married, ran away from home, got married to a guy who turned out to also be a, an abuser, controller, manipulator. So the pattern kept going. She got pregnant with twins, while on the one hand we were excited for the pregnancy, we were also thinking, oh no, she's lashed to this guy forever. And it was getting worse, and he was abusing her. And then on the heels of that, she decides to leave him, she leaves her children, leaves him, pardon my French, this is real, hooks up with another guy and gets pregnant. So now she's not with her husband, she's left her children, and now she's pregnant with another guy's baby. It gets complicated. And you are like, Pastor Jimmy, why would you be so real? Why would you get this out here? Why would you say these things? This is church, exactly. Because if we as followers of Jesus don't deal with the realities of life, how are we going to go out there and live above the line in the world? If we keep stuffing things and hiding things and hiding our scars and saying, wait, it didn't happen, it didn't happen, and in fact it did. Because the world doesn't need to see you perfect, they need to see you living in victory over the mess. The world needs to see your mess get turned into a message and your test get transformed into a testimony for the glory of God. And the caveat of every story here should be, but God. Oh, it was rough, but God. It was bad, but God. The wheels fell off, but God. I ran, I flew my plane into the side of a mountain, but God. And ours is a but God story. By the way, we're going on 27 years married right now, but God. And so the daughter, our oldest who got pregnant out of wedlock with another guy, has this, has this baby who we adopt her name is Faith. She's sitting right there in the blue shirt. Faith. Yes. Mess into a message. Test into a testimony. Death to life. The greatest gift we've ever been given. The greatest gift I've ever been given on this planet. It's this child. So we as grandparents adopted her and raised her as own. It gets complicated. Are you amazed I can keep all this straight? When we try to tell people our story, it's embarrassing and sad because we're like, I can't even keep it all straight because it's complicated. And I tell you that because you need to know it because you're not alone and your house is not the only one burning on the block. 
if that's how you feel in this season. Now, there are other people here. We come from all different situations. There are some of us that are single parents. There are some of us who, who don't have family right now. Just life has moved on. They've moved on. Some have gone on, and we find ourselves. But here's the deal. You do have family. It may not be living in a house somewhere, but let me tell you something. This is a family right here. It's called spiritual family, and this is the house of God. And if you're here, you're family. I don't know if you notice it, but we play We Are Family every time, every Sunday for the awkward meet and greet. And we do that on purpose. You laugh because it is awkward. We do it on purpose because we want you to get the message that we are family. This is us, so to speak. Speaking of complications, don't think the world hasn't impacted the way we view families. In fact, I want to show you a series of slides. Go ahead and look up on the screen here. Just call out the name of the show. Man, who doesn't remember the Brady's, right? Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. All right, next one. Who's this? Don't say your parents. Could be. Could be. Beverly Hillbillies. I've, these theme songs are running through my head right now. I can sing every one of them. Next. Who's this? All right, next generation says Gilmore Girls. Some of us are going, I don't know. Next. Who's this? Hey, the Fonz. Come on. Arthur Fonzarelli, right? Happy days. How about this one? The Walton. Still on TV, on TV land. Blows my mind when I watch it. Next. All in the family. Before you go to the next slide, I learned most of my theology as a kid from Archie Bunker. Remember how he would quote scripture? But he would misquote scripture, right? And Edith would correct him. Because he always quoted it to his advantage. And as a kid growing up, unchurched, that was the only scripture I ever heard. So I learned my theology from Archie Bunker. Probably explains a few things, right? <laughs> Next. Oh. June and Ward. Right? Do you remember this? They slept in separate beds. Do you think it's changed a bit on TV since then? But a little bit. Next. All right, here we go. Some of you don't want to admit you know what this is. Come on, be real. This is modern family. Now, this is a picture of what we see today in our culture. This is happening. But here's the thing. We as the church don't need to bury our head in the sand and act like it's not happening. Because as soon as you stick your head in the sand, something's sticking up. And you are exposed. Somebody just now got that. Some of you never get that. That's okay. But here's the thing. We've got to realize this is, this is us. This is the culture. The where is Waldo moment? You are here. If you're looking at the map at Lock and Terra, which I have to every time I go, you are here. This is where we find ourselves in the landscape of the culture called family. And we must navigate it with grace and with truth and without fear. We cannot bury ourselves, stick, turn off our TVs, turn off the web and just say, I'm not going to deal with this. That isn't how it works. We're called here to be change agents in the world and in the culture in which we live. That means we need to know what's going on, but not be afraid of it. There's nothing to fear. Amen? So we engage, so we engage, and we love, and we love, and we love. Next. Anybody know this? Come on, they're moving on up. 
to the east side, to that, in the sea, you know that, you know it, the Jefferson's next, ah, oh. this one makes me cry every week, I'm serious, I cry like a baby, you may know what it is, this is us, I literally, I, it's waterworks, even when the music comes on, it makes me cry, is that weird, next one, oh, come on. It's the original dysfunctional family on TV, right? The Adams family. All of us have a weird uncle, right? If you don't think so, you're probably that weird uncle. I'm just saying. No, we don't. We don't. Okay. And who's this? Last man standing. Come on. This is like the show of all shows. The best sitcom out there on television. You got to watch that. This is hilarious. Dealing with real life issues. Every one of these represent snippets of culture and viewpoints of culture, but we all navigate them. And you know what they do? They make a burning house look fun and funny. Not all of them. Some of them are pretty serious, but most of them make us laugh. You know what we're laughing at, honestly? We're laughing at ourselves. And you know what? That's not all bad. Sometimes we need to laugh to keep from crying. Can I get an amen? I want to share something with you. I hope this makes sense to you, but families are not perfect. Is that a revelation to anybody here? Remember, your house is not the only one burning. Families are not perfect, but families can be present. You know what the power of family is? It's not about how well you do it. It's the fact that you choose to show up. Last week, I had the privilege of going to Lubbock. Annette and I jumped in the car. We drove to the beautiful scenery of West Texas. It was a little bit brutal leaving here to go to West Texas. But I conducted the wedding for my youngest nephew. And I got to tell you something. We showed up in true form. Now, I promised my sister-in-law would not use them as an example today. So that's all I'm going to say about the wedding this weekend because Patty is probably watching. Let's just say this. No, I'm not. Yes, I am. If Jerry Springer was still on TV, we would have been the featured guest. I'm just saying. All in all, all in all, sorry, sorry, Patty. Um, she would be talking about me on Facebook now. But I have to tell you something. You got to laugh sometimes. You have to pull away from situations and go, wow. Not how, just wow. Wow. And then you have to sit back and say, but I love my family. I love the mess that we are. I love the train wreck that we can come off as. I love the fact that we can have chaos and still love each other. I don't know about you. My house burns sometimes. And I know that when I'm in the middle of it, it feels like mine's the only one burning. But I want you to know something. It's complicated, and you are not alone. You're not alone. We are all in this together. During the first service, it was interesting to feel the response. I feel rooms. I don't know if you do, but I feel rooms. I, I don't just see people looking at the floor, avoiding my eye contact, lest I call them out as an example of a burning house or whatever the fear is. But I also feel rooms. I felt the barometric pressure change in the room first service. And I thought, I th here's what I thought. 
After I said amen at the end of the service, I thought, well, Jimmy, that was truly a lead zeppelin. That was a lead balloon that crashed, burned Hindenburg. I mean, that's how I felt walking off the stage until four different people came to me and said, thank you for saying what you said. It's exactly where I'm at. And so no matter what I feel, what tension I feel in this room, here's what I'm going to commit to you, that as your pastor, as the one called to shepherd this body, I will always go here and we're going to deal with things head on and we're going to deal with them in grace and in truth, completely encapsulated in a gel cap of love so it goes down well. You know what I'm saying? So let's go here. Families are not perfect, but they can be present. Just show up. The truth is this. It's complicated, but you're not alone. Amen? So here's a quote from Dr. James Dobson. Anybody remember Dr. Dobson? Focus on the family. He, his books were the ones I wouldn't read while we were dealing with, with faith when she was a little child. She was the kid from you know where. Remember Damien from The Omen? She was that child when she was very young. And so some of you are going, I don't know that movie. That's okay. So here's what, it was so rough. In fact, it was so bad, I didn't want to read his books because I felt guilty every time I started reading his books. Brilliant man on the family, loved his program. Listen to this. He says, what is the biggest obstacle facing the family right now? He says, it's overcommitment, time pressure. Not everyone is, is financially poor, but many of us are time bankrupt. There is no time freedom. There's nothing that will destroy family life more insidiously than hectic schedules and busy lives where spouses are too exhausted to communicate, too worn out to have, I'm just going to say it, sex, too fatigued to talk to the kids. That frantic lifestyle is just as destructive as one involving outbroken sin. If Satan can't make you sin, he'll make you busy. You should write that one down. And that's just about the same thing. Notice the, the descriptors here. Hectic schedules, busy lives, too exhausted, worn out, fatigued, frantic. And then the last word there, destructive. It's complicated. But what's the good news? I'm not alone. You're not in this all by yourself. Listen to this out of the book of Joshua. Have, let me set the scene real quick because context is king. Real quickly. Moses had handed the baton to Joshua right before the, the, the children of Israel had come out of captivity in Egypt. We're going way back here to the beginning. Now, when they stepped over the line, they went across the, the Jordan River, and they stepped into what was called the promised land. It was going to be a land flowing with milk and honey. They were going to reap where they didn't sow. They were going to have homes they didn't build. God was going to give them the land, but they had a responsibility to actually march into the land and eradicate the inhabitants of that land, but God would go with them. So there's the scene. Now, fast forward a quarter century, about 25 years later, Joshua is now an older man and actually in kind of the same place. It's his time to pass the baton to the next generation. 25 years in the land, they have not eradicated everyone. In fact, a little bit of, of I would call this... Uh, contamination had happened because the children of Israel had not only brought some of their gods and idols from Egypt, but now they were actually engaging in some of the idol worship in the land they were supposed to be dominating, and it was beginning to dilute the people. They were not as pure. And so Joshua 
brings them to a place of recommitment and re-upping their covenant commitment. And let me say this, when I was in the Baptist church many years, there was something that we did, we always sang all nine stanzas of Just As I Am at the end of the service, amen? And if no one moved, we just started all over again until 18 verses, somebody's going to break down sooner or later, right? So I love church, you got to know my heart. I may be on verse 13. I'm like, oh, really? How about just as I sit? Because <laughs> I'm done. So I remember being in that environment, but we did this thing, and people would come to the altar, and they'd be crying or repenting, and, and later would say, hey, did you get born again? Did you get saved? No, I rededicated my life. That became a thing. That was real. People would rededicate. And at first, I thought it seemed menial until I got in and started talking to people. I said, no, I'm recommitting my life to Jesus. I've, I've wandered off. I've lost touch. My relationship's not broken, but my fellowship isn't where it should be. And so they're recommitting, reconnecting, rededicating. In a very real sense, Joshua calls them through the word of the Lord to rededicate, to recommit, to reconnect, and re-up their covenant. And this is where we find ourselves. So, Joshua 24, 13, he says this. This is God speaking. I gave you the land you had not worked on. I gave you towns you did not build, the towns where you are now living. I gave you vineyards and olive groves for food, though you did not plant them. Verse 14, so fear the Lord and serve him wholeheartedly. Put away forever the idols your ancestors worshipped when they lived beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt. Serve the Lord alone. Verse 15, but if you refuse to serve the Lord, then choose today whom you will serve. This is Joshua speaking now, and he's basically drawing a line in the sand. Do you get the picture? He's standing there. He's got the whole nation pulled together, and they're there, and he's drawing a line saying, step over the line. Would you prefer the gods of your ancestors serve beyond the Euphrates? That's back in Egypt, remember? Or will, you, or will it be the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now live? In other words, past and now the present. But he says this. It makes a bold statement. But as for me and my family, as for me and my house, as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. That's drawing the line in the sand. He makes this declaration and re-ups in a sense. Are you saying that Joshua wasn't serving God before then? No, he was absolutely committed to the will and the ways of God, the purposes of God. But in this moment, he took a step to say, you know what? I'm re-upping. I'm recommitting. I'm recutting the covenant. Verse 16, the people replied, we would never abandon the Lord and serve other gods, even though they were, they had. Verse 17, for the Lord our God is the one who rescued us. Now they're beginning to recount their history in God. And our ancestors from the slavery in the land of Egypt, he performed mighty miracles before our very eyes. As we traveled through the wilderness among our enemies, he preserved us. It was the Lord who drove out the Amorites and the other nations living here in the land. They're remembering their history in God. They're retelling. That is a powerful, powerful thing. When was the last time? We used to say it like this. In fact, it was a song in our hymnal. It was count your many blessings. Where we would begin to recount the blessings of God and before long, your faith is built. Your heart is lifted. 
You're inspired. You're encouraged. And it's like, yeah, look what God did. Why would God back out now if he brought me this far? That's the power of retelling. And so they're retelling. It was the Lord who drove out the Amorites, the other nations living here in the land. So we too will serve the Lord, for he alone is our God. They now take the step over the line. As for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. They stepped over the line to go all in with God. Let me remind you, it's complicated, but you're not alone. Would you just turn to your neighbor and say, you are not alone? You're not alone. So, what do we do with this? What, what, how does this translate into the life that we live every day? Because here's the thing, if faith doesn't work in real life, I don't, have, I don't need it. I need that which works in life. And so here it is making it real for real life. In other words, we're answering the question, so what? Great info, Pastor Jimmy. So what? Good study. Thank you. Number one, family is a place where safety is valued. Taking this away, what God was saying is you're going to pass this from one generation to the next, to the next, to the next, but here's the bottom line. Safety is primary. Now, immediately we default to thinking in terms of physical safety. Like, I don't have to worry, I'm taken care of. But let me, let me just go another level on this. I'm talking about emotional and personal and relational safety. Is your home a safe place? And it should be of a high value if it is not. But let me take it one step. Let me just go personal on this. Are you a safe person in your home? Now, let me say that again because that was a... Um, that was a atmosphere shifter in the first service. Are you a safe person in your own home? The litmus test for this would simply be for me or anyone else to ask those who live with you if you're safe. I mean, we could do a test. We could take the, take the Myers-Briggs inventory. We could do the disc test, strength finders, Taylor Johnson. I know all those. I love them could do, get your Enneagram, you know, figure out which wing you are and all that. But here's the deal. At the end of the day, are you safe in your own home? Are you a safe person in your home that others feel safe with you? Now, I know this is strong and this is calling something out, but you know what? Sometimes I need to be called out. My dad told me one time, he said, I'm going to kick your butt. And I laughed at him. And he put a red wing boot right between my cheeks. Literally picked me up off the ground. And you know what? To this day, I thank him for being true to his word. It wasn't abuse. Trust me, I earned it. I never, I only got one spanking I didn't earn and he repented to me for that. I got to spend time with my dad last weekend before we got out of Lubbock. He's 81 years old and just still going strong. And I wanted to tell him, we, we were running out of time, but I wanted, I want to sit down with him knee to knee and just say, thank you for disciplining me. Thank you for calling me out. Thank you for not letting me get away with being lazy or be, get away with being apathetic or disrespectful. Thank you for spanking me. Thank you for wearing that belt out. Today, that would be child abuse in our culture. 
because the whole landscape of the family has changed to where it's even frightening to even discipline your own children. What if somebody calls? I told the story of Faith calling out in an aisle at a store, don't hit me. I'd never hit the child in my life. But just the fact that she shrieked at in Walmart on aisle 14 was like, I'm going to jail. <laughs> safe, listen to this from Dr. Henry Cloud. He wrote a book on safe people. Listen to this. Safe relationships are centered and grounded in forgiveness. You wonder why we did four weeks on forgiveness? Because we are going somewhere together. It's called movement. This is intentional. When you have a family member with the ability to forgive you for hurting her or letting her down, something deeply spiritual occurs in the transaction between you two. You hear the power in that? It's not just emotional, it's spiritual. Why? You actually experience a glimpse of the deepest nature of God himself. For God so loved the world he gave and he forgave us. It's complicated. You're not alone. Number two, number one, family is a place where safety is valued. Are you a safe person? By the way, we're going to continue down this track over the next few weeks through our little mini series here called Family Matters. Family is a place where faith is valued. These aren't in any order per se. Listen to this. Joshua, our focal verse but as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. I shudder to think that anyone sitting in this room is a Sunday Christian where you come, you got your Bible, you sit down, you greet, you have your donuts and coffee, you, you fellowship, and then when you walk out of this place, you don't think about God, the kingdom, advancing the kingdom, walking with Jesus, growing in intimacy with him, that you don't think about any of those things until the very next week when you're sitting back in this room. I shudder to think that's anybody in this room. Faith has to not be the last thing on the list, the addendum, but it needs to be the central thing on the list in our homes. Safe? Absolutely. Faith-filled? Totally. When we were going through so many different dark times in our lives, we had one place to go. And it wasn't to call a therapist, although I am all about therapy. You need a crutch, use it. Your leg's broken, use it. We need help. But for us, in our scenario, a therapist wouldn't have helped. What we needed was an intervention of God. And so we went to the Word of God. Because here's the deal. If I need to know the will of God, I need to know the Word of God. And it doesn't come by osmosis or sleeping with it under my pillow. It comes by actually reading it, being immersed into it. Not only getting into the Word, but now the Word begins to get into you. And it begins to give you answers and clarity and vision for what's going on. You don't know the Word, you won't know the will of God. And you can go and ask me or Russ or Austin or Annette or anybody else. And we can fumble through it, but what is God's will for you. He wants to speak to you personally. You need to be in the Word of God to know the will of God. And it doesn't come through a microwave. There's no microwave version of this. It means getting into it and saying, God, speak to me. Holy Spirit, bring it to life in me. A home that is built on faith. A home that is where faith is valued, where 
where Matthew 6.33 is a reality. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you as well. And number three, remember it's complicated, and you're not alone. Number three, family is a place where grace is valued. Oh, man. I don't know about you, but I'm just going to be real transparent here like I haven't already. Sometimes we rub each other the wrong way. Can you believe that? I know our house is the only one burning here. But there are days where, where I say something or Annette says something or Faith does something. I know she appears perfect, but occasionally we have a bobble. And when it happens... It throws the ecosystem that we have carefully constructed off. You do know that a family is an ecosystem, right? And it's very fragile. And one person makes a move within the ecosystem, it throws everything out of balance. It's a world that we construct where we navigate emotions, we navigate dysfunction, we, we navigate pain, we navigate victory and success, we navigate loss. We navigate healing and wholeness. A family that is, has an ecosystem built around dysfunction, when the dysfunction disappears, throws the family into chaos. Isn't that crazy? It sounds crazy, doesn't it? But each of us have a family culture, a family ecosystem, which we navigate oh so carefully. But here's the thing. When we rub each other the wrong way, when, when things get out of balance, the ecosystem's off. And it can create chaos sometimes at the drop of a hat. Family is a place where grace is valued. If you do not have grace for one another, then when the ecosystem collapses or when, when it's off and the space-time continuum is out of whack and things are not lining up, you better have some grace deposited in your bank, ready to give out. Do you know why? Because somebody has grace for you. And I better be ready to release the grace that I myself require. Every day. All day long. Believe it or not, I know this is going to be hard for you to wrap your mind around. Even yesterday, we had some tension in our home. None of your business, why? Or what I did. So... Let's just say we had a little tension. But you know what happened? There was grace for that. There was grace in the moment. There was grace and there was rebel mint chocolate chip ice cream. That helped. Just saying. Do what you gotta do. But there was grace. And you know what? Within just a very short amount of time, it was like it never happened. The word justification, big, deep theological word, it's justified. We've been justified, and it means this, just if I'd never sinned. And there was grace, and there was a great celebration of ice cream. Hallelujah. We better have grace for one another as we navigate this thing called family. Therefore, listen to this, Colossians 3.12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion. Put on a jacket. That's compassion. Kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with, with each other. 
the fact that he's telling us to bear with each other means we're going to have to bear with each other. There's a reason that's in there. Because it precipitates that you're going to have to. Amen? Fight the good fight of faith precipitates the fact there's going to be fights. It's there for a reason. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. That doesn't give any qualifications unless unless it was heinous, unless it was neglectful, unless it was very hurtful. It doesn't rank. Notice the Bible never ranks sin. We do, but the Bible doesn't. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. That could wrap up that whole thing right there. Why? Because it's complicated. But the good news is this, you're never alone. So landing the plane here, I just want to encourage you in this. If your house is on fire, take courage. You're not the only house burning on the block. But good news, the gospel is good news. The gospel is that God became man in Jesus Christ and he lived the life we should have lived and he died the death we should have died and he did it in our place. Three days later, after being crucified, placed in a tomb, he was raised from the dead, proving he's the son of God and that if any one of us, if any person here would trust him give their life over and accept what he did for them. You, me, we will have eternal life and will never perish according to the scripture. That's the good news. That's the gospel. Your house is burning? Well, get break out some marshmallows. Let's make some s'mores. Okay? Join the club. It's gonna happen. It's complicated, but you're not alone. Stay with us. Fasten your seatbelts as we go through the next six uh, episodes of this mini-series we're doing because we got a lot to learn together. But I'm telling you, before we come out of this thing, we're going to be safer people. There'll be a lot more grace flowing in our homes. And faith might just get moved right back where it needs to be, and that is in the center of our lives. Amen? Can we pray together? Father, I pray for my friends and my family here. Thank you for the grace that it, this, this is a grace-laden atmosphere, and I'm so thankful for it. Thank you for my friends. Lord, if there's anyone here who needs to take that step over the line, give them the courage and the grace to say yes to Jesus today. And Father, for our families, we pray, even as we leaned in on the National Day of Prayer, we lean in every day as an NDP for us. We pray for our families. Lord, give us grace when the house seems to be burning down around us to know that we're not alone, that it is complicated. Oh, but God, but God, you're faithful. I pray for families, for wholeness, for health, for the journey towards growth and development in grace. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen and amen. Amen.